welcome back to Cycles of Orion. This is the fourth episode of Volume 1, Fire in the Dark, containing the second chapter of Jacob and the Time Traveler. Sit back, relax, and take yourself away into the world of the Orion Spur. Jacob and the Time Traveler, Chapter 2 Outside Wanda's Diner in the Port Dyson Sky Harbor Hey, Time Traveler! Oh, goddess, would you mind keeping that to yourself? <laughs> what are you, paranoid? Who do you think is looking for you? You know how many crazy people shout crazy shit in the Sky Harbors? Here, watch this. Are you trying to tell me you ate your cousin? Come on, look around. Nobody moved, nobody even listened. They've all got lights in their eyes and sounds in their skulls. You got nothing to worry about, honestly. It's one of the reasons I hate this place. All these people to see you, but nobody's looking to see. But you know, these days it's like this almost everywhere. Anyway, uh, I'm coming with you. Oh, are you? But of course you mean that you're following me. Don't make it sound like you were invited. Oh, but I was. How can you expect to tell me that you survived an overwarp and claim to be a damn time traveler and then expect me to not be the least bit curious. I don't know. I guess I thought you were just a regular human being with apathy and fear. No way. I'm anything but regular. So look, why don't we fuel up before leaving? Get us both there faster. I tried that. It's why I came here in the first place, but my chit got declined. Ah, the life of an agate. Now oh, get off it. I've got packs enough. At least I did. PAX is the information-based composite currency of the Federation. Uh, what are you doing? Well, there's a visa check. I'm, I'm queuing up. Oh, man. <laughs> you don't get off-world much, do you? What, you see a Damarian uniform and you immediately queue? Right, so a bit of a detour here. Damarian art. Largely sculpture and paintwork utilizes colors that fall outside the visible spectrum of human beings. The Damarians evolved amphibiously on Marian, a world on the far end of its bright star's habitable zone, and adapted eyes suited for their planet's peculiar quality of light. They possess the extraordinary ability to vary the rate at which they take in and process light, and so they are able to see in slow or fast motion relative to humans. This is a trick of the visual cortex rather than the eyes themselves, but it has led to two major developments for their species. One, they have produced some of the most spectacular art on the Orion Spur, and two, they have become the largest contributor to the Federation's law enforcement efforts outside of the Quinvald regime. Each of these developments comes with a major caveat. For the latter, it is that the majority of the Spur, humans, Lotzi, Corio, and Battalions alike, associate the Damarians with the law and nothing else. When a spacer laments the crags, they're probably picturing a Damarian in uniform. As for Damarian art, it's an unfortunate fact that although Damarians have produced some of the most breathtaking pieces ever conceived, their art is largely made using colors available only to the Damarians themselves. To the rest of the spur, a Damarian sculpture may as well be a formless but well-sanded slab of granite. And of course, this fact only serves to support the stereotyping of Damarians as harsh, generic, 
and humorless. It's a voluntary check. The Crags don't have power here. They're just trying to sucker suckers into feeding them data. And you're not a sucker, are you? Nah. I can tell you're a blowhard. <laughs> Look, if you see anyone other than Vermail and Port Authority, you can walk on by. Come on. So we walk on by and into a waiting gate. Then Matthew says he's hungry. And sure, we got a little time to kill, so we stop into another diner. I'm not sure why I didn't grab something at Wanda's, but anyway... This place is a lot busier given that it serves drugs other than caffeine. Matthew eyeballs a menu and looks disappointed. Uh, have you got anything that doesn't come out of a printer? No. Anything at all? A stick of flavor paste? Anything? No. Uh, all right, uh, give me a pack of nutrients. What size? Small. What flavor you want? Blue? Meanwhile, I've already found a seat next to a group of kids. Probably about a quarter at their oldest. That is a quarter into their expected lifespan, which translates to roughly 35 years old on Earth. With gene therapies and cybernetics, humans can be made to live many centuries, although the most effective life extension treatments are available only to those who can pay the outrageous fees. The oldest living human being in Jacob's time is Martin Pax, son of Dyson Pax and head of Pax Enterprises, who clocks in at over 212 Earth years old. Now, you're going to see Pax a lot, but only in name. The vanity of that family knows no bounds, and their vanity isn't the only thing that doesn't have boundaries, but that's neither here nor there. The kids are laying around, practically drooling and falling all over each other. A few of them are sucking on a pen and breathing out huge clouds. A couple are more chugging down some kind of beer or something. Knowing these types, it was probably or something. Thing is, none of them are talking to each other. Not physically, anyway. One of them, a big gray wall of a man, is smiling at a show behind his eyes. Looks like an idiot, but for a moment I'll admit, I get tempted. I fingered my neck a little, gently stroking the jacks that used to take me to all sorts of places. There's warmth in the longing I feel. Pleasure in the absence of pleasure. I cycle through a list of filters I've got installed, but I don't get far enough to actually will one before Matthew sits down with his little blue tetra pack and starts sipping through a straw. Somehow, he's already making that annoying gurgling sound that usually only comes toward the end. I swear this guy's right out of a vid. I say... You look like a child. And he just shrugs it off. It was this or plastic food. Plastic food. Come on. Could you be more of a stereotype? Probably. Mmm. Tastes like blue. You could have had anything. Anything. And you take a pack of blue. You didn't want a steak for half the price? Ugh. No. I don't eat meat. How can you eat that fabricated crap? Man, it's not even real meat. And it tastes the same. Even better sometimes. Oh, it most certainly does not. What? Are you kidding me? It's the same on a molecular level. Well, has it got dirt? I'm sorry? Dirt. Has it got dirt? I don't know. Probably not. Well, then it doesn't taste the same, does it? You want dirt in your blue. And why not? A little dirt never hurt anyone. Besides, it's what makes it taste real, so says I. I want to taste the world my food was grown on. Once you get to Agathon, you'll see. 
It's the realest place there is. You're crazy, boss. Ah, you just wait. You just wait till you get a little dirt in your ham sandwich. It'll change your life, where? I could print you some dirt, if you'd like. Ah, nah, it's not just the dirt. It's the imperfection. The little imperfections that stop it from tasting sterile. What you've been eating is lab food. Once you try the real thing, you'll never eat fab crap again. Hey, I grew up on that fab crap. <laughs> uh-huh. And that's unfortunate for you. But just think about how much better the real thing will taste after a lifetime of shit. And you know what? If it weren't for the prospect of time travel, I might have left right then. Most people I can only tolerate in small doses, and this guy was pushing my limit. Mostly, I live alone. I fly solo. Lone wanderer kind of deal. I've been living alone for as long as I've been trading, which I've been doing for as long as I care to remember. Truthfully, Jacob's loneliness was only a side effect of his self-diagnosed genius. The highly intelligent kept few friends and were prone to long stretches of solitude. Check and check. And the key phrase for Jacob here is care to remember. See, everything before he signed on to the Traders Guild was a blur of phony joy and neglect. Everything except Wanda's. Wanda's and the flights that followed were the only real things on Vermela, the only things that weren't simulated or endured. There wasn't a single thing that Jacob could remember from his time in Port Dyson that made him smile, unless it included weightlessness or Wanda's glazed red eyes. And while he was weightless, Jacob was the king. He ranked in the top ten pupils at his flight school. He could have been number one if he'd applied himself, but there was a veil over his life as a youth, a constant sense that life was happening somewhere else or in some other time or some other body. Living felt like waiting. It was only after he'd given up on flying professionally that Jacob realized how happy it had made him, and by that time he was too bitter to go back. And now I bet you're wondering, bitter about what? And it's a good question. But unfortunately for all of us, that's something that Jacob hides even from himself. No human likes admitting they're afraid. Mm -hmm. That's me. I'm up. You got them to announce it? Do you seriously not even have a tablet? What part of Agathon don't you understand? Yeah, yeah. Look, though, let me pay up for Warp 5. My cryo's been iffy lately, and I don't want to wait seven months awake. Give me your chit. Fine, here. I'll top up at the relay. What do you mean, decline? Huh. Warp 2 it is. Oh, no. No, 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 no. I'll meet you at the relay. Pay for it myself. Warp 7 to Corian at Midway, 5 to Agathon direct. If we must. A trip time totaling 103 metric hours, or 12 days on Earth. One metric hour is 2.8 Earth hours. And he goes. Saunters off to his ship and leaves me to wait for my number. Then I realize it's my first trip to Agathon and I'm gonna need a sick cocktail. A sick cocktail is the colloquial phrase for an immunization cocktail taken intravenously during interstellar journeys to fight xenobacteria upon arrival on a new world. The effects of these can range from mild nausea and discomfort to vomiting, diarrhea, and open sores. The worst Jacob had ever experienced was a stomach ache and intestinal cramping, but, well, you can probably guess how well Jacob deals with mild discomfort. 
Attention Traveler. Immunization is mandatory for all passengers to previously unvisited worlds. Records indicate no previous travel to Agathon. That's right. I need the juice. Do you have a full complement of elements? No, in but I got enough. May I interest you in a full resupply sponsored by PAX Enterprise? No, no, no. I'm fine. Just give me some codes. Thanks. There was a new compulsion in Jacob. An irresistible pull toward experience that he had never known until these moments. It could be easy for a person to feel like the verse was at their fingertips when the entirety of human, Patellian, Corio, Demarian, and Lotsi knowledge was only a thought away, but with so much knowledge so readily available, there was no labor behind curiosity, and so no catharsis in the knowing. Jacob used to play sims about the old ways on Earth, about adventures and quests of both the body and the mind. Nowadays, these quests seemed superficial. If Jacob wanted to know, he could know, and if the knowledge wasn't there, it was usually such an esoteric topic that it was out of reach for anyone who didn't want to devote their entire life to finding the answer. Multitudes of possibility only seemed to lead to an unwillingness to do anything other than the extraordinary, and yet the extraordinary only seemed accessible to those willing to shun the multitudes of possibility. Opportunity was flooding through the memories of humankind, and yet all we did was sit above the knowledge pool getting lost in the pretty waves. But how could you possibly choose one and only one thing? How could you limit yourself, get obsessed like that, and devote such a huge amount of time? Most people get awed by the thought of it. It's paralyzing to think of how much there really is. You wind up in a daze, and most often you try not to think about it. You play the lottery and hope greatness is thrust upon you. The result is an entire species devoid of wanderlust, all in the most exciting time to live as one who wanders. I just don't understand why anyone would do anything unless there was at least the possibility that they were going to do something new. You've got to be an original. Am I right? Why would anyone catalog? Why would anyone redo? And those damned Aggie. Somehow they've all gotten rid of the drive to outdo each other. They progress without innovation, subsist, and thrive. It doesn't make sense. It's definitely not for me now. I need the competition to keep me sharp. No triumph without struggle. But the problem with Jacob, if you ask Jacob, was that he just hadn't found the discovery that would motivate him to act. That colossally important discovery that would propel him into fame and glamour. Oh, but when he did find it, <laughs> watch out. There's something different about Matthew. He's an agate and an academic type, probably has catalogs up the wazoo, and he's got a wife and daughter. I mean, this guy's a deviant by agate standards, and now, without even trying, he's gone and made the most groundbreaking discovery of all time. Allegedly. And yet, to Matthew himself, it all seems incidental. All that Bozo can think about now is his family and putting dirt in his blue. What happened to the excitement? The wonder? If it was me in his shoes, I wouldn't have any second thoughts. The verse would be ripe for the taking. The verse would be ripe for the taking. 
As he stumbled out of his shuttle and onto his ship, Jacob was greeted by Max, his co-pilot. Though virtually mute, Max communicated in a series of grunts and telling facial expressions that Jacob figured he could understand, but that Max knew for a fact he could not. Jacob had a hard time dealing with people, but Max, he could stand, if not understand, even during long interstellar journeys. You see, they both liked the same things. Historical sims, documentary vids, drinking to excess. Max didn't drink, but he often enjoyed Jacob at his most inebriated. But that being said, most inebriated was also when Jacob could get the most violent and ill-tempered. So I pull away from Poor Dyson and I set course for the Corian Relay. When I get there, the Time Traveler ship is drifting close by, and you should have seen this thing. Looks like a dagger, and it's red from the light of the sun. So it looks like it's dripping blood or something. It's got no markings, no windows, and for the life of me, I can't figure out where it stows its halo. In order to develop and sustain a warp bubble, all ships with an onboard warp drive must also have a halo surrounding them. The largest of all warp drives known to humanity is the Elysium Ring, a halo seven kilometers in diameter that transports Elysium Station along with the fleet. However, the energy required to move the station is so prohibitive in most cases that the migrant Elysium fleet typically moors the station at Midway Sky Harbor, it being the most central outpost of the Federation. It dawns on me that the ship's Darwinian, and it's the one I saw pulling a few hours ago. It's not a warship or a runner, but something ritzier, like an envoy. Probably the halo's convertible, packed somewhere inside the hull. But looking at this thing, it's seamless. The Darwinians sure know how to put something together. Anyway, I burn my forwards and let the RCS stabilize me relative to the relay. Then I spend what feels like days looking for cracks in Matthew's ship. A red icon flashes on the wall, something out of my lace. A charge is coming in, pair of one Matthew McEwen. I pay it up and watch as the space dagger maneuvers into position. Our ships power up at the same time, and I see the Time Travelers cut open smoothly all around its midsection. Curved rectangles open up like gall doors on the top and bottom of the ship and pull the rest of the halo assembly as they move. It takes about a minute before the perfect gray ring is held in place around the ship by a big, chunky X. Then, a bright egg of energy engulfs it and I take it as my cue to do the same. Man, I like space travel better in the old Sims and filters. When light bent around the ship and space-time knelt to my will, made a guy feel powerful, you know? Real interstellar travel is claustrophobic and boring. Your bubble is your whole world, and all the sights surrounding you get blocked from view by the ridiculous amount of power you need to shield yourself from relativity. Say <sighs> la vie. Five days since my fabricator broke, and three days since I ran out of rations. Not to mention that the last thing I got to make before the fabric broke was that 
fucking sick cocktail, which at this very moment is uh, making a mess of what used to be my gut. And now I'm thinking Max has been sneaking a bit more than his fair share of food since I got sick. But I haven't brought it up yet because, you know, you don't want to piss off the crew mid-flight. Cryo's an option. Not one I like much, the latch is still broken. And before you start to wander, no, Max wouldn't be any help at all. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Max, apart from the fact that he'd been sealed in his own pod, which is much smaller than mine, otherwise I'd take it a heartbeat. But on top of that, Max had the misfortune to lose his thumbs in a freak genetic mishap. Poor guy can't even pick up his food. He's gotta eat everything face first. So yeah, I'm sitting on a bridge, spirit in hands, trying to drown a sickness and pain in my stomach, and maybe try to trick myself into believing that whiskey is food. Max, he's sitting next to me with his worried look on his face like he cares or something that I'm throwing myself deeper and deeper into a pit of anguish. Anguish. You know, Max, Three months at sea can drive a man to drink. <laughs> what? Oh, come on. It's not like you've got all the answers. Really, you know, you know, it's that time guy's fault. <coughs> Hold on. <coughs> I swear, if we'd taken a highway, this never would have happened. Could have stocked up on Midway, but no. Matthew wouldn't want to stop. Oh, but that agate prick has got me wrapped around his little finger. And why? Is it because I'm unhappy, Max? Is it because this time guy's the closest thing to a friend I've had in years? Oh, no offense. Is it because I wasted half of my life on this rock flying zippers around in circles for points? Or is it because I don't get points anymore? Oh, fuck it. I'm following my dreams. Why? Do you think it'll give me something I'm missing? What am I missing, huh? What does this time guy have that I don't... Uh, no, don't say crime travel. Time travel. It's too obvious. No, it's, it's, it's that look he's got. Like he's dipped in frozen water or something. I felt like we were worlds apart in the same room. Like, even though we were right next to each other, there was still, uh, I mean, like this metric shift ton of knowing between us, right? It's like we were really connected, you know? You know? We don't really get to decide this shit, do we? Like, I'm here. I'm... I'm going. I'll be on Agathon, we hope, in a week. But that's not gonna happen. That's not gonna make me really get it, you know? It's not about knowing, Max. It's about understanding. And then there's the wonder of it. 
right? Like, you gotta wonder, don't you, Max? Who hasn't wondered about this? I mean, what do you know? What do I know? People who overwarp, they just, just, poof. Well, like, the wiki I got says, implodes, pulverizing contents, dispersing so quickly that it's nearly impossible to find a trace. So yeah. <laughs> Fine, whatever. Change the subject. Yeah, you've been great company, Max. But if we're being honest, you're kind of shit for conversation. <laughs> What, you looking at my drink, you cheeky fuck? We got a whole week left to kill and I've run out of guns to calibrate. I need something to do to pass the time to keep me from thinking about how hungry I am. Fuck. Thanks, Max. Now I'm thinking about how fucking hungry I am. <sighs> now I'm out of booze. Lucky for me? There's more in the hold. Unlucky for you, once I drink another bottle, I'll finally get drunk enough to put a zipper up your back. Oh. Come on! What do you want me to do? Sleep in a crybay that might be a coffin? I'm coping the best I can here, Max. At least I'm not sitting here drooling, checking into a pleasure dome, turning my brain to goo anymore. You ought to be happy for the improvement. Oh, I hate it when I yell at Max. Poor guy doesn't deserve that. But sometimes I just... Hey, anyway, talking about the pleasure domes and all got me thinking about flipping into a filter. Then I get this rush euphoria up my spine and a smile fades from my face as quickly as it comes. I know this moment. I know it well. Always in this moment, I start really thinking about the options I've got in front of me. I know that if I will up a filter, doesn't matter what one, that I'd immediately want to kill it again. So I would. And then I sit and think, well, what else am I going to do? And then I go through a list in my head of all the productive things I could possibly do with my time. Creative stuff, mostly. I like to draw, I like to render things in 4D. I'm not very good, but I figure if I force myself to do it for a while, I get into the habit, get better, and then it'd be fun. Filters, though, and sins, yeah, they stopped being fun a long time ago. Now, they were like a shadow of fun. A fuzzy idea of joy that rises up out of pure nostalgia. I know all of this, of course. But still, I sit here and stroke my temples, fondle the lace that pokes out from behind my ears. I look over at Max, who's standing on a chair with his legs on the chair's arm. I'm fine, Max. It's the cocktails. It's the booze, whiskey, whatever. Yeah, that's what I say. But then Max sucks his tongue back into his mouth, and he says, Whatever you say, Jacob. 
the hell did you just say? What the actual fuck? I wasn't touching another drop after that. So I hole up in my cabin without Max and run some filters about the Elysium core. Now, I don't think the core can be destroyed at all, let alone in a single battle. I search for information on this Arcadia, but the Federation public database has nothing. The only lead I can find is the writings of some agate explorer from the beginning of the century. Pretty famous one too. Probably the only agate everyone knows the name of. Agni Chokshi. Agni Chokshi and his crew, see the CS Weaver, set out in the days before the Federation to check on the progress of humanity among the stars. They traveled from world to world, writing logs and compiling the internal networks of each civilization into what would one day become the extranet. Will to see more. So I flipped through some logs to find Horizon, but there's only one entry. Goes a little something like this. <clears throat> Today, we land on Horizon to meet with the descendants of those brave souls who first sacrificed their lives to bring species into the sky. <laughs> yeah, he's an agate. I'm excited, of course, but unsure of what we will find. These were they who sought to find a life augmented further even than our Darwinian sisters and brothers. A life lived in perpetual and artificial connection like a technological nirvana, a simulated samadhi. But I cannot say, I truly know nothing about which I speak. <laughs> and yet you go on. I expect the information we gather will be essential to creating a catalog of the human condition. But nonetheless, I struggle to imagine what sort of society would have come from such a unbridled and invasive technology. The Darwinians augment their genetics, which is why they have chosen such a ridiculous and oblivious name for themselves. Fitting, I suppose, that their name should come without too much creative agency. But the Darwinians have yet to become a single entity. Their body still has legs, arms, kidneys, all connected but separate. Horizon approaches and I wonder what sort of body its people possess. Will there be separation between them or will I hold session with a hive? More later. But when I look, there's nothing else. There are more entries, mind you, but none talking about Horizon. None that even make a passing comment about having considered going to Horizon. It was like Agni forgot, completely forgot about it. Seems out of character is all I'm saying. The record says that after her horizon, he visited a few more choice worlds before planetfall on Abadi. And then he retired to Agathon and, I don't know, became a prophet or whatever he is to them. So I look up horizon and guess what? It's classified. No surprise there, I guess. What's weirder is that the huge chunk of space surrounding where the planet is supposed to be is quarantined. Then there are links to forums, deep web kind of shit, where some nut bars are talking about spacers flying close and never being heard from again. 
every thread I follow comes up frayed or cut. And so the more I pull, the more convinced I get that there's something going on here. And it's about this time that I start wanting to have a chat with Matthew. After all, he seemed to be a fountain of information about all this. Either he really is an agent of the future, or he was lying about something. He knew I couldn't resist trying to get me out to Agathon. And I mean, I've got a fine stock of metals in my hole that anyone would want to get their hands on. Gate or not, Matthew could just be luring me out to the frontier so he could kill me quietly. But what do I know? I've never been to the Fellowship, let alone Agathon. Why would I? A traitor has no business in the state without capital. Literally. In fact, I don't like the sound of this Agate anarchy at all. Every Agate I've met's been an ass. Stuffy and smug. This time traveler hasn't been much different. These guys are cryptic. They're liars, and here I am, caught up in what just might be another long string of cryptic lies. But how can I resist? How can I deny that flicker of hope that warmed my heart when I saw the truth in Matthew's eyes? It was pure. It was visceral. It was nothing short of revelation. I need that. I need desperately to feel that for myself. And now I'm rushing headlong looking for the truth of it. I'm even thinking of warping over right away. But no, no, I can't die now. I need proof. I shut down my filter and headed to the cryo bay. I knew I'd have to hibernate at some point or else starve, but I've been keeping that for myself. But now I'm getting too hungry to ignore it any longer. Ohm. When we get to Agathon, send a distress call and fix a geost... A geostation... Just put us into orbit. Max! I know, I know, I hate it too, friend. But it's the ice or we're on ice. Engage cryo sequence. This has been the fourth episode of Cycles of Orion, Volume 1, Fire in the Dark, starring Michael Palmer as Jacob, Alexander Klein as The Interface, Ed Graham as Harold the Clerk, and E.P. Dannis as the narrator, Time Traveler, and Max the Dog. A special thanks goes out to Gunnar Jonsson from EpidemicSound.com, provider of this episode's interlude music, and we would like to thank as well the creators at Freesound.com, without whom this series would be a whole lot duller. And finally, thank you for listening, and tune in next month for the continuation of Jacob and the Time Traveler on Agathon. In the meantime, don't forget to share on social media, and if you like what you hear, check out our Patreon for updates and exclusive content. Or, if you want to read more from E.P. Danis, head over to epdanis.com.